Start rolling when you're ready. Let me know. Give me a three-second countdown. All right. With three. the fingers. With the fingers? Yeah, don't say anything. Oh, okay. Because that, that might get picked up. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit, a podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode two of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Trevor L. Nelson. And I'm Alex Dark, and today we're going to be talking about Micro-budget filmmaking mistakes. Oh boy, have we made a lot of those. Yeah, we have. But first, what's new? What's new with us? Uh, since everyone's so excited to know what's going on in our lives, what's new with us? Give us, give us a little rundown. Um, well, we're finishing up a project here. Uh, we just took Ooh. a break from it, actually, wow. right now, to, okay. to record this, this podcast. Breaks um, are good. good. Good for breaks. Yeah, always down for a break. Yep. So this project is a sort of green screen YouTube uh, series shoot that we did a while ago, and now we're doing the post on it. Yep, 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 yep. So we're doing some editing, um, editing it down, making sure we, you know, we did about three, four takes of everything on it, picking out the best takes. Then we key out the green screen, throw in some graphics, make it look all pretty, exciting, so that we get you know tons and tons of viewers on it. That's the hope. Yep, that that's exactly right. And yeah, so uh, we're uh, other than that, we are also uh, we have a script that we are working on. Uh, we've you know showed it to some people. Some people like it. We want to increase it, make it a little more horror-y. It was kind of a thriller, a sci-fi thriller. Yeah, it was actually. I would say yeah, thrillers. Right. Sci- I mean, it was, sci-fi. It was like borderline drama. Yeah, borderline drama, and we wanted to be more hor- horror film. So uh, we are sprucing it up a little bit. Going to just send it off to some people once we get a new draft on it, add some more horror elements to it, and yeah. Um, yeah. And so. then also uh, one thing I, I thought about is that we're migrating away from Adobe Story. Oh, yeah. Because we got I think the everyone's news. basically well, migrating I, away from it. Everyone that used it. I, mean, I, yeah. I know a lot of people didn't even know about it, and that's probably why Adobe's getting rid of it. I know, I know. So sad. But yeah, so we're trying to figure out what to move on to next. So if you have any suggestions, you audience members out there for uh, screenwriting, software, program, cloud-based, whatever you guys use, uh, let us know. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you have a favorite, um, you know, we all know about Final Draft. We all know about, um, what's the other one? I guess we don't know about it. Celtics. Yeah, Celtics. Or however you say that. Uh, who knows? Um, um, but yeah, so if you have any suggestions outside of that, something that we should check out, let yeah. us know. Yeah, we we all we always like the uh, the cloud collaborating stuff. That's why we liked Adobe Story, uh, but we also want something that we can use when internet is not present because we do a lot of writing out in the middle of the woods where there's no internet and no distractions. No distractions, but we and find also ways no... to distract ourselves. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So one thing that we uh, found a problem with Celtic, Celtic, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, I don't know. Um, one one problem we had with that was that w- it was great for collaborating on the cloud, but when we went out in the woods in a cabin to do some writing, we there was no access to it because the standalone program really didn't work. Yeah, um, it, they actually discontinued it for Windows, which we yeah. are not Mac users. Nope. They actually do have it for Macs. We just don't Bleh. have Macintosh computers. I'm fine with that. So yeah, had to so, go, had to move on. So yeah, so if you have a suggestion, send it our way. We'll give it a go. Um, we're 
uh, not needy because it's not. When is it getting? When is Adobe Story going bye bye? January of 2019. Yeah, so we're in a rush, but we'd like to get a, give a try on a lot of stuff right now as soon as possible. Exactly. And then uh, in sadder news, uh, we did not win an Emmy. Sad no. Panda. Uh, again. Sad, we lost to Dr. Oz again. The fourth time in a row, right? Yeah, I think We've so. We've always lost to Dr. Oz. Always lost right? to freaking Dr. Oz and his green coffee bean mumbo jumbo BS. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um but uh, but hey, congratulations we'll, yeah. to the Dr. Oz team. <laughs> We're not the team bitter. is great. The team is great. Uh, Dr. Oz is just a little snake oil salesman kind of esque. But whatever, I'll drink to I'll drink to everyone there. All right, so that kind of sums up everything we've been working on. Um, yeah. So let's get on to the main topic we are handling today. Day yeah, that's out. right. Micro budget filmmaking mistakes. So first of all, I thought it'd be good to sort of. Talk about what we consider micro budget because I know the definition kind of differs from person to person. From uh, DGA to, uh, <laughs> to oh yeah, even just different contracts and stuff. So, what do you consider micro budget? Oh, I'd say under a hundred thousand, maybe even lower than that. Um, you know, I mean, you're. I would say the average in micro budget is thirty to fifty k. That's my that's my thinking of it. Yeah. What about you? It's tough. I would probably go more along the lines of like being in line with the SAG contract. So Ooh, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be under two hundred and fifty thousand. That just seems. Uh, and, I would love to have a micro budget of two hundred fifty thousand. I know, because I think <laughs> technically, I think I mean, God, from what I've heard, like twenty five k, fifty k constitutes a no budget movie. Oh, God. and under. You know what I mean? Even though obviously that's a lot of money, but. Well, good thing I am hosting no budget filmmaking, and I think thirty to fifty is good. So, <laughs> <laughs> works it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I would say we stick with the SAG because that's how we have to pay our actors based on the SAG. Yeah, and I think um, if I'm not mistaken, um, the ultra low budget is really two hundred fifty thousand. Man, these are just, these are pipe dreams. Pipe dreams. I, I don't swear. Even know. I don't know. But no, um, no. but yeah. yeah. So okay. anyway, micro budget. I personally think is anything under two hundred fifty. Um, okay. I mean, let's stay in the hundred thousand dollar range, just to yeah be the lens below. Yeah, hundred thousand and below, just to uh, make me feel better about my guess. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, yeah, these um, are just opinions, Trevor. Yeah, I know. I know. No my one, opinion no means has, shit. Yeah, um, has real answers for that. <laughs> Okay, so let's go through all the phases of a production and sure. all the pitfalls and mistakes you have seen and you have maybe even made in your yeah. in your career, <laughs> if we can call it a career for either of us. But yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, okay, so um, start with the script. Start with the script. Yep. All right. Well, uh, the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head is um, having. Way too many locations. Boom. For, you Good know? One. Yep. I mean, in micro budget, it's all about utilizing resources. So if you have a lot of locations at your disposal, like fully at your disposal, mm -hmm. then sure. But yeah. I think most people, well, actually, that's not true. I mean, probably people outside of the city probably have access to maybe some more yeah. Uh, yeah. locations. Like in LA, it's really hard to get access to stuff even 
you know, if you're renting an apartment, I don't think technically you're suppo- supposed uh, to shoot in it yeah, because you need I permits mean, and all that. Even if you own a house, I don't think you technically can film exactly. it without a permit. So, but who owns houses in LA? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Um, so, if you do, I'd love to rent from you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, no, I, uh, along that line, I think it, in a general term, I think a big one that everyone runs into is they, they just, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's kind of like they don't decide they're going to do micro budget until after the script is written. So aside from too many locations, they just are writing too big of a script. Um, yeah. it's just not, you know, it's not going to fit in the budget with props and, um, and number of actors and locations. I mean, it's just all kind of like sure. one of those things where it's just, they're kind of, especially because micro budget is usually people's first movie. Um, it, you know, comes in at micro budget. It's their first movie with any kind of a budget. They kind of be like, okay, this is my, this is my chance. I got a budget. I got to make this awesome. I got to make it grandiose and blah, blah, blah. It's like. Then they just start writing a script. I mean, we could talk about The Daughter, and if you guys go on Cinema Summit, uh, soon you'll see some interviews we did with the writer-director of The Daughter. Um, I remember sitting in um, a meeting at, at the Bucks. Um, the Starbucks, for people who don't know Trevor's yeah. lingo. <laughs> who doesn't know The Bucks? Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember John had this really, really awesome idea to have like a... Uh, the end scene be a fight that takes place on the roof. Yeah, on the roof and of a of a two story cabin. Two story cabin, and I remember just looking at you and me and you just looking at each other and being like, "Hum, <laughs> uh, I don't want to kill his dreams because he's a friend, but this I ain't also don't want to kill an actor. Yeah, I don't want to kill an my actor. Biggest problem with that. Um, I mean, there was a scene where they were hanging on the edge of the. The, yeah, but the, he the wanted roof. with that one. He wanted he, he wanted, wanted to, to fake it yeah. somehow. Yeah, and I couldn't come like I could come this, up with a safe this, way to fake it. Not even safe, but this goes into what you were saying is like people write these things, and with VFX and stuff, it's yeah. like there's a lot you can do these days. But you could also ruin a movie completely by having just that one shot that you're like, ah, that just doesn't look right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's almost not worth it in the end to do that kind of stuff because... To, to be fair, I think your your uh, cloning of the emergency vehicle was great. Good job on that. Oh. That was a good VFX and a little micro budget. That was sure, yeah. sure. But even, I mean, I would say, well, granted, we were all young and... Ah, dumb. You know, um, bright eyed, but like none of the, none of the VFX in that were, I would say, obviously we could do better now. Yeah, and I think that's the scenario that people are going to be in a lot. Like you said, it's their first feature, so yeah. the VFX, you know, even if you're pretty good or it's like you think you have a pretty good handle on it, it's like it's a lot. You know, I did the Ugh. VFX on that movie, but and I didn't realize exactly how many effect shots were coming my way. And you just don't want to hold up the production and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to power through, yeah. you know, however many VFX shots you have. So that kind of stuff gets you bogged down. And then all of a sudden the, the quality sort of dissipates. And then also who's response, like on this stuff, you know, who's the onset VFX supervisor? There it's, the, it's, it's like the person who knows the most. And oftentimes well, that person doesn't really know. <laughs> that, I mean, and that goes back to another thing in, in pre-production when you're doing a micro-budget film is, um, man, people think that if it's low budget and kind of guerrilla filmmaking, they're just going to wing it. And in this case, you need to plan even more. The fact that you went into it and didn't know how many VFX shots are going to be knowing that you're going to be doing the VFX? 
I mean, that was our bad. We should have we should have sat down and figured that out. Well, but it also comes down to sort of <laughs> decision making on set. No, that's know? true. That's true. But I feel like like I mean, even large budget movies have six months to a year sometimes pre production to plan for a movie. I'm not saying you have the time nor the money to do six to, to six months to a year on a micro budget, but at least give yourself a month or two. Yeah, um, it obviously would be better yeah. to plan it out if possible, but there's inevitably going to be those things oh, yeah. that arise. I mean, where, that's going to happen on any budget. There's going to yeah. be stuff that arises, but I think what people tend to do is when they're doing micro budget, they're just like, you know what, I'm doing this micro budget. You know, we're just going to get there and shoot uh, because we don't have time. We have to do this 20 days, and it's like, you know. Even if you are working another job to raise the funds for this, you can still meet every night or twice a week or three times a week to plan it out so that when you do get on set, you're, 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 it's all breezy. You're, yeah. you're good to go. Yeah, totally. So, and let's, what about uh, dialogue in kind of these first features? I mean, I know from our writing, it, it depends. If, you're, if this is a micro budget that you're, you're writing, yeah, I tend to, it tends to be like, I know we are super wordy when we do our first drafts and when we're doing all that. Yeah, I I found that we tend to try to be not even try, but it comes across as like we're trying to be too clever for our own good. Yeah, yeah, yep. you know, it's not effortless on the page. It's very, it's very um, sort of forced at first, and then we have to sort of start whittling away at our own dialogue and stuff. Ugh, and that's like, you know, all throughout school, they told you just to put it on the page and then cut it down. But man, we gotta, we gotta, everyone needs to cut down their dialogue. Show it rather than say it. Yeah. Especially also, in low budgets. Totally. And I think that's probably another big problem with micro budget uh, scripts is not enough drafts, you know, like not enough revisions and not sending it to enough people mm-hmm. ahead of time to get the actual honest feedback. Send it to as many people as you can, just because that will help whittle it down. Because, I mean, again, going back to the daughter, I'm sure John thought the, the roof thing would be easy, and it was an awesome shot, and he has to end it with some pizzazz, but by bringing other people in, it's like, okay, let's talk some sense in this guy. Yeah, some different um, perspectives. Different perspectives, and yeah, we'll go from there. So, yeah, I mean, plan as much as you can, as well as... Get in front of a lot of people's eyes before you start anything on it because there'll be people who aren't in love with the script as much as you are or in love with the project as much as you are that will tell you honestly, hey, if you're trying to do this for this amount of money, this ain't going to happen. Yeah. So. And another thing that I think happens um, in production to the script, mm-hmm. mostly on micro budget levels, not, well, it, I'm sure it happens as well on like the huge budget movies. And uh, everything in between. But I imagine it's way more prevalent on micro budgets just because people feel the director and the production crew are a little bit more accessible and they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, people kind of making it happen. But how do you deal with actors giving notes on your script? I think we talked about this last time when we said, uh, Oh, you're right. We did. Shot listing. How much do you do shot listing? How much do you let people get, you know, come up to you and tell you that this shot would be cool and all that. I think it, I think it, again, keep in mind that when you are doing stuff, you are looking at the overall script and these actors are studying just their character and they're getting, they're building a character that they, you know, and so I feel 
that it is, you know, I'm open to collaboration, especially with someone who is focused solely on this character to build them and feel that this is what they do and all that within reason. I, I'm not I, like you're not looking for it. I'm not looking for it. I mean, I may ask for some suggestions or if they come up, I'll talk about it. But again, like with the shot listing, when we were talking about that, the biggest thing about Michael Budget is is getting it done. Yeah. Like getting it done in time. And if you have every actor coming up to you and, and just telling you everything they think about a character, it's you're never going to get your movie done. It's just going to be... Yeah. And also, I feel like once you do it once, it kind of opens yourself up for... Ooh. everyone you know Ooh. it's like yeah. oh maybe there were some actors like sort of hanging out on the wings being yeah. like well, I'm, I, you know i kind of i kind of think good maybe. i like you actors you stay there yeah but then they see the one that yeah. goes up and gets yeah. their way on whatever they're talking about and perhaps they get the courage to go yep. up as well yep but um about from you know and so to talk about you know we're getting into directing but to step back and you know because we were talking about a lot about producing i think from a producing standpoint, not to completely change subjects, but on a producing standpoint, the one thing I think a lot of producers do is they try and cut the budget down in the wrong areas. I think they, you know, yeah. like they are like, well, you know, if you, you know, I don't need an expert in this, 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 or this. I just need somebody who can do a decent job on it. And I think we'll say it again and <laughs> right. again and again, sound. Sound also production designers production like designers and sound those two uh, i think are the ones that kind of get really lost in the micro budget world because yep. people think well a people don't spend enough time thinking about sound for one but also with art department i think people have this idea that oh uh my friend uh craig or susie or whoever can do it yeah. you know they can just go pick up some stuff and make from, it look and make it look good and it's like yeah. well you know maybe but yeah, um that's a big maybe i mean if you don't worry about sound uh and you're producing your own thing and maybe directing it you will worry about sound when you realize how shitty it sounds and you have to fix <laughs> it in post which is the yeah. worst thing in the world yeah um, and also you'll you'll realize how badly you need a uh production designer when you show up to the set and you just have four a, white walls four white walls right, with a picture that looks right out of place you. yep and it just is like this doesn't <sighs> look like the 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 bedroom of my protagonist it's yeah. like that kind of stuff um, i learned this kind of interesting thing uh the other day um about how to kind of deal with that using wallpaper but sticking it up with like that blue t sticky tack stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not permanent or even close to permanent. You just yeah. stick it up. Uh, but man, getting those white walls out of there is just—it's crucial to oh. making your because that's, I mean, one hundred percent dead giveaway for a low budget movie. Because yep. if you look at the higher budget movies, they all have like. Awesome. These rich colors, yeah. like the wallpaper, the woods, yeah. the textures, and all this kind of stuff. And even if it is white, yeah. they have so much production design and lighting going on to be able to handle that. It's mm -hmm. just not going to look the same for a no budget, you know? Yeah. So while as a producer, we, we, uh, we support the idea of cutting corners and budgets wherever you can. 
I do not recommend cutting production design, art yeah. department, or sound because those are going to kill you in the end, and you it's really hard to fix it, and it actually costs more money to fix those things later. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it will. And also, again, another thing I'd say now that we've moved on to producing, yeah, um, leaving enough budget for post both yeah. sound post sound um uh any editing trailer editing yep you know stuff like that yeah. because i think that's another thing that people think oh the editor will do it yeah you know yeah we have this person who is going to edit the whole movie they'll know how to mix the sound they'll know nope. how to fill in with uh, foley and sound effects nope. uh they'll know how to cut a trailer nope you know it's just yeah. you, you don't think about the fact that all those things are specialized, you know, not maybe you'll find someone that is decent. Yeah. But some of it, but like even decent is probably not what you want. If yeah. you can, you know, hire a, yeah, a sole trailer editor and hire a post sound designer and yeah. sound mixer. And I mean, this all, I mean, it all intertwines cause it's not just, you know, we're going to talk more about like decisions the producer makes, but it also deals with cinematography. Like, a producer, I would say, tell them, you know what? Talk to your cinematographer and do not think that you need to get the spend this boatload of money on the camera only, and then you just screw every other part, every other aspect of the gaffing, gaffers, and lighting, and all that. Like, you know, you want to get an Alexa, and then you have no money for a nice light kit. And yeah, then you're screwed, because, but you have a great, great camera. Yeah. Going too heavy in the camera department and not leaving enough for anything else. Oh, my God. The worst. I mean, it doesn't matter how good your camera is. If you don't have the correct lighting equipment, your camera is going to look like a DSLR. And, and I mean, that's just yeah. a, that's kind of a, a rookie move in general, yeah. you know. It's that. And we've done it. Sure. Like, <sighs> yeah. Some of our early stuff, it's like, oh man, this looks good just with the camera. It's you know, I don't remember any of that early stuff. I think we burned it all. Yeah, it's yeah, gone. It's gone. It's gone for good. Burned it. Yeah, we deleted but, it all. But you know, there is to an extent something to that. I I subscribe for um, micro budget stuff, low budget stuff. It's great to walk in and use available light to your advantage, yeah. and then accent it. Sure, uh, but it's. It's not a great idea to plan on just using available light because oh. you'll find, especially if you're shooting anything at night, <laughs> oh, you know, man, yeah, you're screwed. lights will just not be where you want them to be, you know? And yeah, I mean, even... At the very least need like a reflector or something. Even in daylight, even in natural daylight, you're still going to want some kind of lighting to accentuate certain things. Exactly. You want a reflector. Yeah. You know, you want just... you want some like silks or something. Yeah. I mean, it's not... And all that stuff is relatively inexpensive. If you're renting, you know, grip is probably the cheapest thing you can rent. Yeah. And a lot of people just short circuit on that and they, they, they go cheap on that because they think they have a great camera. Yep. Don't work like that. Nope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of the, the mistakes that come with no budget and low budget micro budget filmmaking are – Trying to cut corners where you shouldn't because you think you're going to be saving money and saving time, and in the end, you're not. You're yeah. just absolutely not. I mean, sound, you're not. Um, you know, 
cinematography, if you're not getting the right equipment, overall the right equipment, not just the right camera, you're not going to be saving time or money. You're going to have to do reshoots because you realize how shitty this looks. Yeah, one thing that I I, I just didn't realize so much uh, at first was how much stuff there is that is so purpose-built in yeah. the film industry. You know, and if you don't have that stuff, it just makes it life so much more difficult. You oh know? God, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, cutting corners. Like you don't need everything. Like Mm-mm. when you walk, <laughs> I used to live downtown LA. Trevor still lives downtown LA. Um, you walk around and you see these trucks. You know, the people uh, they're always shooting like commercials, four uh, or five trucks, usually mayonnaise commercials. Yeah. Um, they mm-hmm. uh, or car commercials that make it look like it's New York <laughs> that's raining, or a mayonnaise car commercial, a, man- a mayonnaise delivery car commercial. But they have you know like three or four trucks for this one commercial, and uh-huh. you just see, you know, eighty percent of the gear just sitting on the truck with the dude sitting there. Like they bring everything just on the off chance they that the they budget. need it, you know, because they have the budget. And yeah. why not? Yeah. It, it's better to be prepared if you have the ability but if you don't have the ability there's no reason no you know no um yeah i mean and and so to move from there uh directing what are some mistakes i know i know off hand i mean it just it all ties in together again because like um it goes back to producing and time and all that but like i think when you're directing a lot of people in low budget, they just don't think they need rehearsal because it's a micro budget and they think the actors are not, you know, it's like, just rehearse a couple, do a couple table reads before. Um, Yeah. And I think that comes, comes down to almost like fear in a way. Like people are afraid to do rehearsals because that's like an interaction with an actor uh, for a new director that yep. might be uncomfortable. Well, and there's also the fear that if you're micro budget, you're going to meet in someone's like lobby of their apartment building or a conference room <laughs> at somebody's job, and it doesn't look all that professional. And, sure. And I mean, we met in for the daughter. We met at the uh, what would you even call that? What would you even call that? And it wasn't the clubhouse. It was like the lounge area of your apartment building. Yeah, it was a um, sort of a meeting room by the pool. Yeah, yeah, that that pretty much yeah. sums it up. So you know, grab a couple. You know, the best thing you could do as a producer, director, uh, somebody working in micro budgets, is get a Costco membership. Go get a bunch of snacks. You know, yeah. just twenty bucks worth of snacks, and have them come and make it fun. But talk about it. You can work through your issues there, and if you work through your issues there, you're not working through these issues on the set, and everything's running smoothly. And I think a lot of people micro budget, they are like you said, either afraid or they just don't think they need it because this isn't. A big budget. It's like ah, that, that. It's even more needed. Yeah, and another thing that, in the same vein, um, I think a lot of no budget directors and stuff they they want to really incorporate improv. Mm-hmm. Which man, it, unless you're it, doing comedy, don't. It can be really rough, really rough doing the improv. Um, even if you have really great actors or you. Because again, like the casting process for a film mm-hmm. is such a strange process that to me it just almost makes no sense, you know, because you're asking these actors to come in, you're putting them in a scenario that they're not going to be in for the film, you know, they're like basically doing 
uh, a scene without another actor there, just someone sitting behind a table reading lines to them. So it's really awkward, right? It's not at all what... And then if you happen to do like a a chemistry read or something where you bring people in and audition them together, that's that's good and stuff like that. But again, they're just like in a white office or something or like wherever you happen to be holding the auditions and it's just not... It's not the same. So it's very strange... I think to like cast from that. And also I feel like it's really easy, you know, to me auditioning uh, as a former actor. Ooh, so um, fancy. Auditioning is kind of a different skill um, than acting on film and, and, and acting on stage. It's It's like people who say they can, they can uh, interview better than they can work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's kind of a different skill. It's like something you can practice and get really good at and you can kind of know some of the tricks, uh, that make your monologue or your scene seem better in that scenario. And so what can happen is you come to set and you're kind of a little surprised or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, because the person that you auditioned that did so well in the audition maybe isn't performing in the same way. Uh, that they might in the real filming scenario. And that, I think, man, leaving it up to improv, you're just kind of risking it a little bit. I mean, unless the situation calls for improv, where it is a comedy, don't go into your first... I mean, hell, even if it's third, it's your third film and they've all been micro-budgets, don't, don't trust improv because you never know what you're going to get. And... Unless you're working with people you trust a lot, which you may not get the people you want to work with because of the budget, being able to edit improv is so hard. Yeah, then you need multiple cameras. Yep. uh, Because, man, you're just never going to be able to cut it if you don't have multiple cameras. Exactly. And so then that goes back to producing and cinematography and all this. And so all these decisions interact with other decisions that, you know, you got to really be mindful of because it will just slow down – Production, it'll ruin your budget, and you'll literally just come to a crawl, and and it'll just wear yeah. down on you. Yeah. Another directing uh, issue that I've come across is just poor communication. Yep. As the director, you're kind of overseeing everything. You're the leader. You're kind of the one spearheading the project in a way. Um, and you need to have good communication skills to be able to talk to all the crew, all the cast, um, mm-hmm. vendors, you know, whoever you're dealing with, location, location people, people, yep. You know that you in a you might uh, think, oh, why does the director have to talk to location people or vendors? But um, in a micro budget scenario, a lot of times, you know, they'll be there, or um, the director has to sometimes act as the producer as well uh, in some capacity. So. Just having good communication skills, being able to clearly articulate your thoughts, uh, being able to write emails that make sense and are concise, you know? And get your point across. And get your point across, you know, systemizing things. So it's like step one, step two, step three, instead of saying some sort of like, you know, big, open, broad statement and hoping that people interpret it the way you want them to. Those are things that uh, can really sort of damage a production, I think. Yep. Um and I mean, when you're working in micro budget, and this isn't always the case, but it's a lot of the cases. It's you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Probably you could probably get that if you're lucky from one person, and that person will probably be a producer, and that producer will have 
an opinion and want to be on set and want to tell you what to do and all that. And so as the director, you have to communicate with the producer that, hey, too many cooks in the kitchen. You have to you have to stand tall and, and um, you know, make sure you make get your point across to them as well. Because there's nothing more demoralizing than being the director and a producer talking over you and, or making decisions that contradict what you've made and stuff like that on set. Um, yeah. Because they tend to do that, especially if it's their money. That's the worst. And also, uh, we're, we're talking about this from sort of a feature film perspective. That's true. But micro-budget, I would also say, could go into sort of the web realm, yep. even sort of the branded content. And so in oh. that sense, you're dealing with like oh. agencies brands, um, you know, other production companies that maybe you're coming in for. And all those people have their thoughts. And again, it's just you got to be able to sort of swim through that. uh, I'm not going to knock anybody for making money any way they can to survive in this industry. But working with brands are sometimes the biggest headaches in the world. Because they, they have an idea of how they want their brand to be represented. And if they don't feel that it's being represented how they want it to be, because they can't see the overall big picture and know how editing is going to go, it is a headache. I mean, me and Alex were doing uh, branded content for a company, and this is this is this is just the epitome of how much I just dislike working with brands. Sometimes they had a lookbook, which is basically. They, a style guide. Yeah, style guide. So they, it was like, this is how we want our graphics to look. Um, you know, this is basically it was like here when you're doing graphics and they had this like wire framing graphics that they liked. They, um, they said thin lines, thin lines. Um, yeah, it's uh, so for those of you who don't know, a style guide is basically a document. It's like a PDF document. Could be a long, huge book. Could be a huge book um, that goes in great detail about colors, um, looks, looks uh, motion, styles, everything. pictures, logo, logo placement, logo placement, logo size, all that stuff, font size, like everything in that involves the brand and how they're presented. And so, yes. And so they, in their guide, they had that the lines for like this wireframe were because it was a technology company, thin lines. So Alex does this whole mock-up, very nice, all this other stuff. And then he gets it back, and they said, no, these lines have to be thicker. And they literally had the, th- the, the thickness of the lines down to the pixels on the, the, the style guide, and Alex did it to those pixels, and they said, no, no, we need these much thicker lines. So basically going against their complete style guide that they put together. But to be fair to this company, here's what happened in that scenario. Uh-oh. Because they had a... Uh, a marketing or like a branding advisor. <sighs> so w- there were two people talking. And again, this comes back to like poor communication because the branding advisor company uh, made this style guide for the brand. Yeah. And the brand signed off on it. You know, they didn't really think about it. It doesn't seem like, you know, to that great extent, they just assumed that the, the brand knew what they were talking about. Uh, and so I don't even think they knew what I was talking about when I said, but your style guide says that it should be this thickness. They just knew what they wanted because it looked good, even though it contradicted what they had already set Too up with this other company. Cooks in the kitchen. Exactly. So yeah, so that I mean that is things you can run into when you're dealing with other people's money, especially in micro budget. Um so just be a, a you know, be a 
voice and especially if you're directing or a producer and you know let it be known that you are the one in control here and 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 don't let other people tell you push you around i know that sounds mean or like like a hard ass but you don't have to be mean about it just don't let other people control what you are doing as much as they would like because everyone wants to control everyone wants to come in and, and have their opinion yeah and that's kind of the the biggest job of the director is to be the overarching voice of the project and the one that's driving the ship. Yep, exactly. Um, let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of any other ones I can think of. For directing? Or just in general. Because I think we've kind of like rounded around um, all yeah. the different pitfalls I can think of. Um, I can think of one for cinematography and this comes from a place uh of working in distribution for many years i worked on uh, i worked in a theatrical distribution company and then an international sales agency and acquisitions and so one of my jobs was to just watch movies that were sent to me and they were mostly low budget you know, medium budget, some micro budget stuff, some no budget stuff. And um, the biggest thing, you know, obviously when you get a movie, the first thing you kind of notice right away is how it looks. And so if you're not uh, putting your best foot forward in that way, it can come across as just very sort of amateur and cheap. And I think the biggest thing to focus on there is composition, you know, having like solid composition in your frames, because a lot of times um, you'll have these compositions that just don't make sense. And I'm, you know, of course, when you say that, we're going to get the argument of like, oh, well, you know, rules are meant to be broken or whatever. There are no rules in film. Yeah. But and it's like, yeah, that's true. But you have to understand why you're breaking the rules. And not only that, but people – it's very obvious when uh, rules are being broken throughout the movie. Like if you look at Mr. Robot, their composition is always off to jar you and very Kubrickian style. Yeah, very stylized, yeah. but it comes across as stylized, yeah. not as a mistake. Exactly. But if you have like two or three composition mistakes and no other mistakes the rest of the movie, it's obviously a mistake. It, it comes off as – this isn't the style they were going for. It was either they wanted to do a really cool shot that didn't fit with the rest of the movie, or this is a mistake. Yeah. And I think it also comes down, this is a cinematography and a directing uh, thing, probably, because uh, it's it comes down to shot selection as well. And what I noticed in uh, a lot of the, for lack of a better term, uh, unsavory... <gasps> films that oh, came across yeah. my desk it was name them no no <laughs> um it had a lot to do with sort of bland shot selection you know it's just like oh we're gonna do shot reverse shot we're gonna do a uh a medium and a wide establishing and that's it and and i get that at some points it is that happens just because you're trying to just get the shot Get get all the footage you need to make the edit, but that comes back to the planning and the the things, and and making sure you uh, know exactly what you're doing on set and you've you've rehearsed enough. 
you can you can experiment a little bit, and if you have the time because you planned ahead of time and all that, you can do these interesting shots that make your movie more interesting. Um, yeah, it's even like little tricks about creating depth. You know, like raking across uh, a flat plane instead of shooting straight into it. Yeah, stuff like that. These little compositional tricks that you'll you would learn if you sort of studied. Uh, art or photography or something wow, like that. Wow, you just wow. If you if you guys studied like I do, not study art, like, uh, you like just, at if school. If you just paid attention and appreciated art like I do, you'd have better shots. Yeah, exactly. Like, wow. But, but wow. no, like what in a, a dick. yeah, exactly, totally a dick. But in a serious <laughs> uh, way, my thought is um, uh, this comes down to an issue that I. And I feel very strongly about. Okay. Wow. Um, the inability for filmmakers to practice. You know, it's like, unlike painting or whatever, or photography even, it's it's not as easy to sort of practice it. You know, you have to yeah. like assemble a crew, gather the, the gear, get the actors, write the script. It's like a whole huge freaking process, you know, yeah. to make a movie. So it's really hard to practice that kind of stuff until you're actually doing it. And so that's... The biggest problem, I think, is people don't have the experience. They're not practicing good composition because they're practicing it when they're actually making the end product. But don't you think nowadays with the um, kind of like the resurgence, not resurgence, but the the introduction of DSLRs, people can practice. There's there's not really an excuse. I mean, even with your phone, you can practice composition and things like that. So yeah, but you don't. You're not practicing well. Unless you're going out and just like shooting um, scenes with your phone, I don't think it's the same thing. That's true. Because you're not uh, understanding how the shots work together. You know, you might get like one shot that looks really good, but then the next shot that you're cutting to doesn't really match up with it. And here's my other thought I think it's a really smart idea to um, copy people who you look up to because if you just here's then you here's, become quentin tarantino hey well. well yeah but here's here's the premise right okay if you say okay i'm gonna practice i'm gonna write a script i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna shoot it okay you're not really learning anything because you're just sticking to the things that you know you're kind of like uh, you might learn stuff based on stuff that like happens to you sort of indirectly. It's like, oh, this is in my way. I have to like get over this obstacle. But you wouldn't learn as much as if, say, you were going out and shooting something like shot for shot with Stanley Kubrick and being like, oh, that's a really inter- interesting shot. Like, why did he do that? I never would have done that. Uh, but I really like that. You know, like that kind of stuff to me is hmm. a much better way to practice than sort of just like getting into your your same old stuff that I you do just, all the time. I also worry that they will rely too much on other people's shots. Um, there's a fine line for me. I mean... I don't think so because um, it's like, okay, so let's say um, you're shooting, you're practicing by shooting a, a car scene, okay. right? Okay. Um, With you so far. Every car you scene that it. every car scene that you come across is not going to be exactly the same. You know, one might be at night, one might be during the day, one might be moving, one might be still. People might get in, might get out. But okay. the things that you learned from from doing that 
as in like, oh, okay, I know that if I do uh, a shot from the back seat looking mm-hmm. up at the mirror, yeah, it can be a really cool shot. You know, it might not fit tonally for this, so I might not do that for this. But gotcha. it's in my arsenal of things like, oh yeah, that's a really cool shot that I can do if it fits. Um, no, you know I, 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 no, I, I totally get. You're not that. like I, pulling the same yeah. the whole scene like Quentin Tarantino does sometimes. I, just, <laughs> I guess we're never gonna get him on the podcast. No, I totally get that. I, I guess I'm just saying, you just be careful that you don't. Get in your arsenal their exact shots because I mean it is very easy to look at it. Ah, I feel bad like just raking on this dude because he is good, but it is very easy <laughs> to go to a Quentin Tarantino movie and just pull off. And everyone says, "Oh, what what uh, movie influenced this shot?" It's like, well, it's not an influence. That is a complete like homage, is what they all say. But it's like that is pretty much the shot for shot for his favorite movies. Yeah, sometimes he does do that. Um, but again, it, it's not. Yeah, that that is art, in my opinion, because you are inevitably going to absorb things. So whether you want to or not, you your whole style of shooting has come from something. True, it didn't come from nothing. Like you didn't create Speak it in your yourself. head. You're not a genius. Whoa, that. If, you know, living in a rainforest and given a camera would shoot like, like, uh, Steven Spielberg. Again, speak for yourself. But Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I just think having something to model, it's actually, it's, uh, I didn't create this thought either. It's, it's called modeling, you know? Hmm. And, uh, it's a business, it's a business, uh, idea of like, okay, this person had success. What and I'm going to model my path based on their success because I think um, you know they did it in a really smart way. I look up to them Thief. or whatever. Um, so instead of having to try to you know wade through everything and make all my own mistakes myself, I can sort of learn from what they've done. I get that. I just I just feel that there's too much of a good thing sometimes and people can rely based on other shots. Now, if you do that and then go in to do your own thing, of course, things are going to seep through of like style and what you think and all that. But just be careful that you're not just doing your whole shoot, your whole shot list based off of what other people do. Yeah. But again, I think if now I think you might be inclined to do that if you only did it once. Yeah. But if you we're doing this over the course of like five years, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. to practice. And you've done like thousands of scenes. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's going to be ingrained in you. sort of this, uh, language of cinema. That's what it's going to become. It's just going to be like, Oh, okay. In this shot, we need a 50, 50. And then we're going to cut to an over the shoulder. And then we're going to do a shot on the ground as they travel from this room to this room. And we're going to pan with the, you know what I mean? It's like, um, you interviewing for a cinema job at USA? Yes, I am. <laughs> you can call me Alex Dark. <laughs> you won't find anything for Alex Dark, but no, you won't. It's a por- porn star. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I get it. I, I get it. I, I definitely get it. But the, for all the shit that we give, like people like Quentin Tarantino, there is too much of a good thing. I think sometimes. Yeah, and I think, but I, I really think if you asked any director working, you know, major directors, but even just the ones that work, you know, steadily, they're yeah, going to say on people all the time, major directors. And then just those other ones, but you know, like the famous ones, you know, <laughs> like name, name 
a director other than David Fincher from House of Cards. Right. Um, so I, I think, haven't watched House of Cards, so I don't know. Oh. Yep. Don't know. Loser. Um, but I think... It's too much shit to watch. I know. But I think um, any of the directors uh, that are working would say that they have influences from people and, you know, they have styles that they like and they got those no, styles I, yeah. based on things that they watched before. I know, I know, just playing devil's advocate, that it could be too much of a good thing. Well, you're wrong. Okay, so, <laughs> moving on. That basically sums up all the pitfalls I can think of right now. I mean, you're always, there's no way to, to lay out all the things you're going to run into issues on a micro-budget, because every shoot's different, and what we tell you here, you may run into something that's completely different. So if you've had some, uh, some, some, uh, rem- uh nah, I would say, Learning experiences mm, on mm-hmm. set. There yes. we go. Learning experiences on set doing a micro budget. Let us know about them. Um, I'm always interested to learn what other things I could run into when I'm on set uh, because you never know. Every every shoots with different people, different personalities, different situations. Yeah. So something we say here could be no problem for you, and then all of a sudden you come back and say that, well, you got to make sure that the gas line's off in the house before you blow it up, like I did on my micro budget. So, mm-hmm. not everything's different. So, let us know if there's any problems you've had on a micro budget set that we haven't discussed here, just so we can warn everyone <laughs> how things could be easily destroyed. Yeah. I'd also like to just take a moment to point out Uh-oh. that the things that we talked about are not strictly for micro budgets only. That's like, true. The greatest thing I think about doing micro-budget stuff is that you learn to kind of be scrappy and mm-hmm. think on your feet and overcome obstacles as they come to you. And so you can take everything that you do in micro-budget stuff and kind of translate it to bigger budgets um, down the road. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree. All right. So shall we move on to our what's cool segment? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, okay. All right. Um, What's cool, Trevor? Uh, What's cool cool that you've seen lately? Um, Alex actually showed me this the other day, and it is amazing. It's the uh, DJI Master Wheels. Now, these things, now, for those people who are just new in the industry in the last... Five, ten years? Ten years? Do you think they... Uh, You're talking about gearheads? Yeah. Do people know about gearheads? Probably not. I know. It's tough because... Uh, um, yeah. New, yeah, new people probably don't know about gearheads. Gearheads are... They they love these little wheels. And they were used for jibs. They were used for focus pulling. I mean, they were used for a lot. And they kind of went out of favor with joysticks and... and uh, for focus pulling? What are you talking wait, about? Wait, were they never? No, I focus guess it was just pulling? for jib now. No, they were just... You know, they used to be on the actual, so like back in the day, instead of a fluid head, you had a, a gear head and you had these uh, little hand wheels on, on the tripod Which, head. If you see any of the old, old movie sets, yeah, they had the, they had the camera operators, usually. Be- because back in the day, the cameras were like 100 pounds <laughs> with the film and all that shit. With the magazine and all so, that filled up, yeah. You, uh, you couldn't get the smooth movements Unless you use these little gear heads. Yeah, they didn't have fluid tripods. Yeah. Fluid head tripods. Um, so what they did is DJ, DJI, why, why am I screwing up on that? Um, they released a um, follow focus. 
No, that's not even follow focus. It is no. It's literally just a a wheel the rig for the, the Ronin for the Ronin. So it is three axis. It is tilt, pan, and roll. So there's three wheels on it, and they could actually be detached and attached with um, with cabling. And mm. you are able to because a lot of people say that from joysticks they can't get as fluid of motion as they would like. They're basically digital gearheads. Um, yep. And they just, they're wheels, and you kind of wheel right. And I think they're wireless too, right? I don't know if they're wireless. I've only seen them set up as connected basically to the brain of the the, the unit and Run also it. tapped in to, uh, with a wire. So you could actually hmm. have them like, you could actually give it out to three people away from the Ronin and have them operate it. I don't think they're wireless, not yet. Maybe the next iteration will be. But these are are attached to the unit or cabled to the unit. Interesting. Um, but those things, it's sick. I mean, I think we've all who have wa- worked with wireless anything um, or joystick anything, kind of, it's, it's very hard to fine tune and get the perfect adjustments that you want. Yeah, you have to basically sort of learn, get a knack for it. And that changes with everything. With every new unit you get, every new joystick, every, the sensitivity is different. Yep. The, the motor is different. It, it's a it's crapshoot, but with these it's kind of like a little fluid motion, and people seem to really like the idea that it's a little more precise than it is with a joystick or um, you know uh, what what would you call the one that we have on the DJI the Osmo? That's not really yeah, it's a like joystick. Thumb stick. Thumb stick. I guess. A thumb, I don't know. Yeah. A thumb pad. What, what do you call it on a on a video game controller? Which I think it's like, the D pad or the directional pad and the joystick. So yeah, it's the joystick. Yeah, so it's the joystick. Yeah. But um, um, also. One thing to note with that is it's like that's for sure one hundred percent a skill, and it's not going to be easy oh, to learn no. that. You know yeah. that because you got these wheels, you can only t- you can turn them different ways, uh, left and right. But if you have multiple wheels going at the same time, you might have to sort of turn one left and so, turn one right, patting your head and rubbing back. your stomach yeah, at the same it time can become very confusing. Um, which so. uh, what I find interesting is that they talk about how like oh you know this is this brings back the. Um, accuracy of the old gearheads on tripods and it's still a digital signal you know what i mean it's not analog it's not physically turning a gear that is then turning the ronin it's so it's still it's still there's still some thing that's not perfect about it so it's like yeah i i yeah you're right i i think it comes down to more um size of movement you know, yeah. because with a joystick, you make like a tiny movement and it just and flies. It Thirty but, degrees to the right, yeah. But with this, you know, like one full rotation is, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I, no, but th- it looks cool. It looks cool. I mean, I love the vintage gear. So seeing the old gearheads back, pretty cool. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What about you? Cool. What, what else? Cool. What are you? What are you into? Um, so I just saw um, Miller. Who makes tripods? Uh, uh-huh. That's an Australian company. Uh, they make really good, like fluid heads. People don't know about them as much out here in the U.S., but they're kind of a, a Sackler competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, they came out with this kind of nifty thing that is disposable rosettes. For those who don't know what rosettes are, when you are attaching the handle on a uh, tripod, um, it's kind of like. Uh, how would you describe it's like it? It's like teeth. It's like teeth. It's like a, a almost like a disc of teeth, or it almost looks like you know imprinted 
Yeah, I guess teeth is the best way you can describe it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like teeth. So when you lock it down with a with a a bolt, uh, the teeth catch, and so it doesn't rotate does, anymore. Doesn't move and it doesn't strip the screw. But, but one problem is on tripods, that is something that gets worn out like crazy. If you're first. adjusting, um, you know the the handle a lot you'll get stripped hell uh, even teeth. even even when you're uh putting the handle down to pack the tripod away in a bag yeah, exactly and you don't even tighten it in again it's just rubbing up against each other and so miller made these little inserts for their tripods that go on either side of the rosettes and it's basically just a little double-sided rosette pancake that's made of i think probably some type of uh plastic or, yeah thick plastic or something like that um and so you can wear that down over time. And then instead of having to get a whole new piece or a whole new handle or whatever the case may be, you can just replace that little plastic piece. I think that's pretty smart. Yeah. I mean, because that thing is the first to go and it, it is usually welded onto the tripod. So you're screwed if something happens. Yeah. If on the tripod side, it, yeah, you can't replace that. You can replace a handle, but on the tripod side, not, not much. Um, speaking of that, and everyone knows, uh, since you mentioned Sackler, their new tripod that we just saw, oh, you yeah. said that, awesome. Really cool. Um, really, it's, it's almost one of those things of why didn't I think of it first, because it makes so much sense. All the locks, so you have your regular tripod, and usually the locks for the, the legs are at the bottom, where the legs expand. And uh, you have to bend over, you know, if you want to make adjustments, you have to reach down and all that. So Sackler basically moved all those levers to the top, right near the head. And so you're able to spread the legs out without ever having to bend over, um, and not only that, but it made a, it, a spreader, I, I, I want to describe this, a spreaderless spreader system. Yeah. Would that, that, that would, you, would you say? Kind of, yes. Yeah. So the spreader, what you put, you put the legs on and you're able to stretch out the legs and have support and, you know, raise, lower the tripod to levels you normally can't. Well, this has like levels of locks on the individual legs. So you can have the tripod splayed out. Completely flat, like uh, and and then slowly bring it up. Yep. Level by level, and it'll lock in place and not move. Yeah. And you don't again because all the all the levers and the locks are near the head. You don't have to bend over. You yep. don't have to. Exactly. And spreaders, uh, the ones that detach from tripods are kind of they can be a a, a pretty big pain. Yeah. Um, and then some of them have mid level what are called mid level spreaders that are built in. Um, or, you know, they're kind of removable too. It depends mm -hmm. on what type of tripod you have, but, um, they're at the mid level, but either way it's like, uh, it is kind of this bending down, uh, tightening screws to yep. make sure like the, the legs don't spread out beyond what you want them to. So having this little sort of locking system, is really, really, Look, I mean, cool. if, if other companies, if they didn't patent this and other companies don't fall suit, I don't know what, what they're thinking. This is. I mean, it's kind of weird to say like this is revolutionary, but this is kind of damn cool. It's pretty cool. Um, I, well, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I, I think it's I think it's awesome. And the only thing that's gonna gonna really one of those wait and sees is how that holds up in the long run. Yeah. But I, I you know because I also wish um, they had the option. I I want I would want both options, not one or the other. But I wish they had the option for like a one button press, you know, and like all in, legs would unlock and all the legs would unlock. Oh, and now you're talking about like a electronic tripod. Well, just so you can, no, I actually think they've made Sackler has one somewhere. 
I don't remember. You but lie. It's called like the hot pot or something. I don't know. Why don't we have it? But uh, having the that way, like if the camera's on the tripod and you have this kind of heavier camera on there and you're trying to raise the whole thing up, you can just grab the camera with one hand uh-huh. and then you just have one button to push and lift up instead of having to unlock three sides. You know what I mean? Well, you, sir, were correct. You know your gear. It is the Hot Pod CF10. Yes. By using a central locking system, all three tripod legs can be clamped or released at the same time. There you go. It looks like it's a lot for news. It has like a handle. Yeah, it has the, a handle. In the middle it, of the telescope, telescoping body. It's a little, it was clunky. It's clunky. Yeah. I wish they, you know, if they could incorporate that into this new one, that would be Sold. like, man, Sold. done. Uh, what else? Uh, what else is cool? That you um, so, um, there's a company that I really like called Action VFX. Do tell me more. Uh, it was a Kickstarter way Ooh. back in the day, okay. and they made uh, sort of effects elements, like stock effects elements, explosions, okay. fire, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But they made it really high quality. They shot on um, like the red Epics mm. and all that, kind of, like the Heliums nice. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and slow motion and did the whole deal. Um, they just announced that they cut their prices in half Woo! forever, basically. Woo! So what was a $200 collection of explosions is now a $100 collection of explosions. And that's pretty cool. I would say um, their stuff of all the effects elements that I've used is probably the highest quality and most versatile. Yeah. Um, so what is the what is the update for the newest one? I know that the the fire and smoke effects and the old one, what was it? It was it was against oh. a black backdrop, right? And now it's it's yeah. a keyed out back, backdrop. They it's pre-keyed. So for the explosions, they have the first collection of gas explosions were at night. And so against black basically. Uh-huh. Um and so when you luma key it, you get this sort of transparent thing going on where it's like you can see through it because there's black throughout Uh um but then this next time they did in the daytime against like a a clear blue sky and so you could key it out against the blue nice and so you have all the detail of like the smoke and the the billowing like thick plumes and stuff like that and so it looks pretty pretty cool nice nice and finally i think uh what i am stoked about not that we need another camera is uh Aries uh certified pre-owned program. Yeah, for Alexas. For Alexas. I mean, everyone wants an Alexa. I mean, it's tough to say cuz I mean, an Alexa is not really a camera one buys for personal use. It's a rental camera. It's a Yeah. Um, but nowadays like uh I was reading about this certified pre-owned program earlier. They they mentioned that you can get the full system depending on how many hours mm-hmm. it's been used and yeah. the type of Alexa because there's multiple different types. Yeah. Um you get the full thing with like all the accessories that you would need to start shooting basically um for like ten grand. That's not bad. It's not bad. That's considering bad. that something like a uh an FS seven or like a C three hundred Mark two I mean even an a, an F five is you're you're hitting about twelve K just for the body. Yeah. And then the uh um, like back in the day, the one DC that we have was like fifteen thousand or something, and not and it to went mention down to ten, and now it's lower. But Alexas are built like a tank. 
tanks. Those things just take a beating and they keep going. Yeah, plus the cool thing about this is they've been checked over by an area technician and you get a warranty. It's like those certified pre-owned cars that you can buy where they all... Yeah, exactly. And I mean... Granted, they're the cost of a car, but um, yeah. I mean, for anyone who wants an Alexa, um, that's probably the way to go. That is the way to go. I mean, me and Alex, we barely have any new stuff in our studio. It is mostly used stuff, and we use it for the to the best of its abilities. Um, we never have a problem with it. We keep buying used stuff that still has life in it. Um, yeah. So I would not be opposed to this one bit. Nope, not at all. Um, yeah, I think that's about it this round. All right. Well, um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else? You need any words of wisdom you want to say? Anybody else you want to attack about not being able to study art like you do when they before they go and shoot? Uh, I don't have anything. Do you okay. want to put down Quentin Tarantino again? Uh, no, I think he's uh, had enough, and he's uh, more successful and famous than I'll ever be. So I really have nothing more to say about that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, so I think that's that. gonna, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank Sounds you good. all for joining us. Uh, you can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode two. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, if you like us or if you don't, still give us a five-star rating. Uh, don't do the one. Um, that actually gives <laughs> us a higher rating. So if you hate us, give us a five. If you, if you really like, like us, give, give us, us a five. five. Um, because either way, it still works against us. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If you hate us, it works against us. If you like us, it works for us. I don't know how it works. iTunes it's is screwy. the magic. Of apples. Yep. And also like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. And we will see you guys next time. See ya.